Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning. Good to see you, everybody. If this is your first time here, my name is Tim. I'm senior pastor at the church, and welcome. And I do hope you will jump in on this small group. Um, Love does. I'm making my way through all of this. And so you get a small group, leaders, participant guide that you can take, a book you can read along with it. You can grab your friends, get in a small group in your home, at your work, during lunchtime, in the church. Grab somebody and let's work through this together because we're going to have a lot of fun come the fall. So sign up, check it out. I mean, you got all the work done for you. You have a DVD, you have a guide, every bit of it to lead you right straight through it. And so we as a whole church community can move together in this. So I hope you will take advantage of that. And uh, we're going to have a lot of fun. Hey, well, we're in a series on making good decisions. This would be a good decision. I was just saying, it would be a really good step. You know, you've already made one good step this morning, and that is you came. You, you got out of bed and you came this morning to the vineyard to join us, to worship together, uh, to learn, uh, hopefully from his scripture, a way, a way to do life that is the way God always intended. And last week when we were talking about making good decisions, uh, we discovered this, that as we come to those points where we make conclusions and we make resolutions uh, to take the next step or to go a different direction that as followers of Christ, good decisions are grounded in love. That they're grounded in this sense that whatever I do, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever I do in this decision, that even if it's a tough decision, it's based in a deep sense of love for God as well as for other people. That, that in the long run, in the long haul, even if it's a little painful right now, this is going to be for the best. And then secondly, we learned that good decisions are based on good motives. Like there's no sketchy motives, you know, back behind the decisions that we make. That uh, they have to do with us as followers of Christ, living life in such a way that the kingdom advances. That is, that God's influence advances in our lives and and that uh, we are all, listen folks, this is, you've heard me say this for 20 some years now here in this church, but we're all in this thing, recovery called being a sinner. And so we are always having to check our motives because this selfish side of us a lot of times will just come out and take control and hijack just about everything that we want to do. And so we have to continually ask the Lord when we're making our decisions, you know, and that's not to say that some decisions aren't supposed to be fun for you. They should and it should be good and that's all right, and that's great, but when it's to the exclusion of what God wants and blessing others, then we kind of step back a bit and we go, is this really the best, Lord? Is this, is this what you have? I want my motives to be pure. I want my motives to reflect God's motive of his love for this world and his love for, for the people that he created and the world that he created. And then also we tagged it with this, that there's an if factor, all of this came out of James, the epistle of James in the New Testament. And that is that we do all our planning, we do our praying, and we do our considering. Like we get down to making the decision and we do it, but then we go, if the Lord wills. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like I know it's just not all left up to me, but there is, there is someone 
involved in this decision who I can lean into and I can say, God, you know, I'm hoping this is your will. I'm doing everything I can to get in line with it. So I'm going to take this job. I'm going to pursue this relationship. I'm going to do this on my job in school. I'm taking this course or I'm going to this university or what. I'm doing this and trusting that you're leading me and that it's with bright motives. And uh, if, if it's your will, Lord, I'm moving on in. And that's just a reminder to us that in our decisions that there's more going on than just our own will, our own selfish desires, our own self-centeredness, that there's a bigger picture here. And so we, I think that's what James is trying to get us to see is, yeah, Lord, ultimately you get the say in this. And I want that. I mean, I do want that as a follower. As following you, I want your will done. And so if, it, if you will, Lord, this is what I would like to see happen. And so I want to go back to James, the first chapter this morning, reiterate a verse that we launched on last week, and, uh, and then uh, we'll talk about a few things here. First, James 1, verses 5 through 6, it says this. If any of you, how many is that? If any of you, how many? That's right, that's me, that's you, right? Lacks wisdom. <laughs> uh, you should ask God... Who gives generously to all, right? Without finding fault. And it will be given to you. Get this. See, be given to all. In other words, without fault. In other words, no matter how many dumb decisions you've made. God doesn't look at that and go, all oh, Tim, man. You know, this is like the 10th decision in the last 10 minutes you've made. It's like not that great. So I'm just going to withhold my wisdom from you and not give you any. Let's just let you go your own route for a while and let's see what happens. No, no, no. That's, that's not the God of grace and mercy and benevolence and who pours out more wisdom than we need. Look, no matter how many times you have made decisions that maybe have not worked out for the best, James, Jesus' half-brother, says, Hey, God will give without measure and generosity to you. If you ask him for it, he will give it. And he's not going to be biased with his giving. He's going to look at you and he's going to go, here you go. So what do we do? We ask, right? We ask for it. That's what he's asking us to do. Generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But, but, here it goes. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. Do you believe God will help you with your decision? Do you believe he will give you wisdom? Well, that's a part of this, is trusting God when we ask him, okay, Lord, you do have it. You said you will give it generously. And so I'm asking and I'm believing you are going to lead me. Now, in that process, there are things that we've been talking about and we're going to talk about for the rest of this month that will help us in, in making our decisions. So let's pray and we'll jump into a few of those things this morning. Father, thank you for your word first off. I thank you that you did not leave us to our own wisdom, to our own devices. Uh, but God, you gave us your word. You sent the promise of your Holy Spirit to live within each person that comes to you and follows you. And Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit would come and teach us. Your word is profitable for teaching, for reproof. 
And Lord, you said you would give us gifts in the church so that we could help. You would help us understand how to follow you and follow you well. And I ask for that gift of teaching this morning. I ask that you give it to me, Lord, in my weakness. And uh, Lord, through that, Lord, you would generously pour it out and talk to us this morning through your word. And plant it deep in our hearts, Lord. And I know there are people here facing uh, lots of decisions, different decisions. There are some in here who have not decided, they have not intentionally resolved to follow you yet, Lord. And my deepest desire and prayer, as I know it is yours, is that they would make that decision today and respond. And that's my prayer. And then for those of us in the valley of decision, in the place where we have to make some crucial decisions in the next bit of time, God, would you speak to us and help us this morning? We love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place. Amen. Well, I want to talk just a little bit about the power of circumstances because I don't think anything guides us more in our decision-making than the present, probably, circumstance that we find ourselves in. There's so much pressure in there in what we're, what's going on a lot of times. Have you ever just gone, I think I mentioned this before, like the four of you who know what going with the wind was. Um, <laughs> you know, where Scar- Scarlett O'Hara just says, you know, I'll worry about that tomorrow. Like, you know, I'm just, you know, there's too much going on today. I'm just going to let that go. When you get to that place. Circumstances can do that. Circumstances can kind of take us take us hostage and and try to manipulate us in such a way that uh, we can't make the decisions that we should and the bible talks about i'm i'm going to call this first fill in if you flip your hand out over there's a fill in but i'm going to call this first one in the power of our circumstances the power of circumstances fences and uh, by fences i mean like a corral fence that kind of leads us like you see these movies of these ranchers and they have fences where the cattle you know they move this way and that is very easy for us to be steered a certain direction isn't it when we have boundaries on the sides of us who kind of keep us moving this way and that way there's not a whole lot of choice now some of us want to tear the fences down and indeed and I'm always reminded of you know Jesus behold I stand at the door and knock not behold I stand at the door and kick it in uh, but, you know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And, and so God puts us in circumstances and allows us to be in circumstances where there are guides. And we keep moving through life, but we keep looking for a gate. And we're like, where's the gate, God? You know, I just, but this, this it seems like there's a flow in our life that we want to see changed. And uh, this is not uncommon uh, to the apostles, actually, over in Acts 16, Paul is preaching, doing what he does best, out evangelizing the world and planting churches. And, and uh, it says in verses 6 through 7, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit. Listen to this. Having been kept, offense, right, by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but what? The Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. A fence, a border. They pushed up against it. We want to go in there. We want to do this. But there's a fence that's guiding them saying, nope, not now. Right now is not the time. Fences. Now, maybe you're at that place. You need to recognize fences. We may not like where we are and the borders of where we are. I, I was reminded of someone that... Um, 
a person that I know uh, years and years ago who was just the most excited young person I've ever seen. And, and I would say, what are you going to do with your life? And he goes, I am going to build a house in California over the best surf break. Then I'm going to Bali and I'm going to build a surf site over that surf break. And then I'm going to call you and you're going to come and stay a month with me. And he was living in a garage working, you know, half time in a restaurant. And I was like, you know, the fences are kind of up on you right now. You know, it's like that gate is not open. I mean, kind of take, you know, take it where it is. Realize where you are. Sometimes God allows that and, and it will get to the gate eventually. We'll get there eventually, but we kind of have to look at what God is doing and allow him to steer us. And maybe, um, maybe it's uh, more like a door for you. You've, a lot of us, a lot of we Christians use this terminology of praying for an open door. How many of you have done that? Or we say things like, if that door opens, I'm walking through it. That kind of thing, right? And uh, we're looking for it. We want that door to open up. And this is not uncommon in Scripture either. It's a metaphor that's used uh, quite a few times in 1 Corinthians, uh, 16th chapter, verses 8 through 9. Uh, Paul says, But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work has opened to me. And there are many who oppose me. Did you see that? Did you get that? Sometimes we think the door means it's easy. Oh, there's the door. I'm going through it because it'll be a lot easier. But as Paul says, it was an effective door to preach Jesus, but there was opposition in the midst of it. So he saw the door. Fence was guiding him a certain way. No, Paul. Holy Spirit says, no, don't go in there. Keeps going until finally there is a door. And, there, and I like the way it's evaluated in this scripture, and that is there was an effective, it's effective. Whatever decision this is that's being made is effective. It will have some, uh, something will drop out of that decision that benefits your life, the life of others, the kingdom of God. It is an effective door to walk through. And I think this is a good way to evaluate things too, because sometimes... You know, it's not what's in it, it's what we can get out of, right? If I can get out of this, I'll take any door. Any door. Just, I just want out. Whereas, honestly, any door won't do. Any door won't do. And that's why we ask God for wisdom, because he said he will give it to us generously. Um, he's going to stay on at Pentecost, because there's a great door, an effective door. And I think this is... Simply for those of us who are in the vineyard and we understand what we call uh, seeing what the Father's doing and joining Him. This is kind of what Paul is saying. There was a door where he saw God doing something and so he stepped into it to do it with God. And as usual, there's always opposition to whatever God wants to do. That's a part of what we do. And so he stepped into it, in, into the door. Look, to get it, to be effective in your decision making, I, I just want to say this. I heard these statistics this week, which were crazy, that the normal average go-to-church ratio is like two times out of a month now. But at the beach, in this kind of culture, it's once out of a month. That's kind of the... That, that, that's not effective. I'm just going to say it, you know. 
It's just not effective. We can't get it done like that. You know what? And the people that get things done here and going to see things happen in this beach, the people that are going to step through a door of effective ministry are the ones who are going, I'm stepping through that door and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to do it. Listen, the J1 program, the All Nations Cafe thing, I got a call this past week uh, from a group who has written a policy paper that has been endorsed by everybody about J1 students. It's going to be it's presented to Congress. It's, it's, everybody loves it, and guess who's mentioned in it? You guys are. This program is in the policy as an example of what can be done across the United States of America in caring for and loving our international students. Now, I got to tell you, that doesn't get done. That doesn't get done with once a month. That gets done by people who are committed to seeing it done, who say there is something, there's a door of effective ministry open. There's a door of effective outreach, a door of my being able to have some input for the sake of God and who he is, and I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to step into it. I'm going to commit to it. And you'll have everything in Myrtle Beach push against us. The surf's good. You know, everything. Everything push up against you. Everything push up against you. Push up against you. All of this culture will push up against you to pull you away from that which is effective. Walking through a door that's effective. And it's going to take, going to take people who, who see those doors and walk through them. So... Come on. Come on, let's go. But you know what? Even when we see an open door, when we know it's good, there are things that can rob us. Look at it. And I take great comfort in the scripture. You guys read this thing. It's, I mean, there, this is real life. I know some of you think this isn't real life, but listen to this. 2 Corinthians, same writer, Paul, correct? 2 Corinthians 2, 12 through 13. Now when I went to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened... Who opened the door? The Lord had opened a door to me. I still what? Had no peace of mind. Wait a minute. Because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to the open door. The one the Lord opened. I said goodbye to it, to them, and went on to Macedonia. What's going on here? You see that, see the two in front of Corinthians there? <laughs> that means there was another letter written earlier to the, to the Corinthians. And in that letter, Paul was kind of calling that church to task for some behavior and trying to get them to, to come on, get it together. Well, he hadn't heard back from them. Did the letter work? Did the church, was the church doing what was right? Was it repenting? Was it recommitting itself to get the mission done that it was called to do? Were they treating one another correctly? Had they corrected their fellowship? And there's much that's going on in 1 Corinthians. And, and I mean, Paul loves this church. This is an outstanding church, but it's also out of order in so many ways. And Paul is very concerned for this church. As church planners and apostles like him are for their churches. He's very concerned. He's so concerned he can't take the next step until he knows about the last step. The letter that he wrote. 
There is anxiety in Paul. He's very anxious. He's like, can I do this next? Can I walk through this next door without knowing that the last one I walked through was effective or not? And you know what? It took Paul a little bit more time to ever get back to where he wanted to go to because of that. Now see, I like stuff like this in the scripture because it makes me feel like, hey, that could be me right there. You get so anxious, filled, that you don't take the step that God had offered to you. And it also gives me hope to know that God can bring it back around again, which he did for Paul. But it did put him off track for a little while. And so our anxiety over the past or over unresolved issues in the moment can keep us from stepping through an obvious door in the present. And it's really good to ask ourselves that. What's keeping me? What's, what's hindering me? What's holding me back from taking this next step? What is it exactly? And, um, you know, it's, it's much better to see what God is doing and joining him. And so, your first example is fences and our circumstances. See, God will use fences and doors. He will close them. He will open them. Some of them we're going to walk through and some of them we will just be in a place where we'll go, I don't think I can do this. But I hope we learn from Paul too. Because everything was good. He wanted to hear from Titus. He was like, Titus, can you bring me a report about Corinth? Can you let me know that those brothers and sisters there responded well? Because it's eating me up inside. I, I, don't know what's, I don't know what's happening with that church. I really want to know. Help me understand. And I just can't put my whole heart and head into this next phase unless I know what happened in the last phase. So the anxiety holds Paul back and keeps him back from walking through that. So, you know, circumstances, situations that we find ourselves in. And here's your next feeling is this, and some of you that came out of a charismatic Pentecostal background will appreciate this, or maybe you won't, I don't know, um, because I'm, that's my background too. And uh, there is a thing called fleeces. Do you know what a fleece is? Yeah, you wear them, I know, in the wintertime. They shed water, right? And they're warm. They're great. Over in Judges 6 is uh, one of my favorite stories of a guy named Gideon. And, you know, Gideon, uh, it's, it's a great story. I'd love to tell you the whole story. You can go read it. Um, but uh, Gideon, you know, is called by God to, um, to be the kind of the deliverer for Israel. And he just doesn't believe. He doesn't believe God would use him like that. And so again and again and again, he asked God for proof, basically. I mean, an angel shows up and talks to him, done. He wants more proof. I mean, seriously? How many of you would take an angel? Really? It's like, would I go, no, would you take this? Oh, no, I don't know. You know, an angel comes, talks to him, charges him. He's still like, well, you know, I don't know if it's me. I don't know if I should go. I'm not sure about your choice. And so it's one thing after another that God does for him to show him that indeed he is God's choice. But even up to the last moment before the battle, what does, what does he do? What does Gideon do? He goes, oh, please forgive me, but can I ask one more thing? <laughs> After all of this, he goes, um, if I put the fleece down, I put the fleece down, 
on the ground. And in the next day, if the fleece is wet, but the ground is dry, I'll know it's you. You think you had problems with doubt, right? (laughs) And so it happens. There it is. It happens. So you would think, okay, great. Go ahead. Then he goes, oh, forgive me, please. One more thing. Uh, One more thing. One more thing. How about tomorrow if the fleece is dry and the ground is wet? Just reverses it, right? You know, I can hear God, oh, hey. You know, it's like, oh. Oh, myself, myself, oh, myself. And, um, and, And sure enough, he does it. I mean, God does every single thing that Gideon asked over and over. And some of us in the church took this as a practice in making decisions. We're like, I'm going to put a fleece out. I'm going to put a fleece out to God that if this goes on, then I will do this. So I'm looking at this electric line of a mockingbird comes and lands right now. I will know God is speaking to me. You know, we'll put a fleece out. If this happens, that happens. But if you read the rest of the story, it's really funny because God kind of whittles Gideon right on down to let him know, listen, dude, you didn't need that much proof. (laughs) You know, but here, I'm just going to show you who I am. You know, whittle it right on down. Fleecing is not a good practice. It's not a practice that we as Christians really should use because we have the Holy Spirit within us. And over in Acts 1, to be quite honest and to bring it into the New Testament too, in Acts 1.26, when they're in the upper room, the disciples are and they're looking to replace, you know, Judas. They do a, they do a pastor search. They go in and they look and they have two, requ- two requirements. They have one, whoever it is that takes his place has to have walked with us for the whole three years. And secondly, They've got to have seen the risen Christ. And they come up with two people. And evidently, they're two great people. They had traveled with them, been with them, saw Jesus resurrected. And they're like, man, we got two qualified candidates here. What do we do? So they do a practice that was very common during that period of time. Take a rock with, with one color and one with the other that represented the names. Put it in a bowl, shake it up, and then somebody takes their hand in and draws it out, and there's your next apostle. <laughs> well, that's like a game of chance, right? Uh, and, and here's the thing about that kind of thing. They had qualified candidates. They were tied. They didn't know what to do. This is early on in the church. But as you watch the book of Acts, you never read of that again. It may come up one more time, but that practice ceases because as they learn to listen to the Holy Spirit, as they learn to work together to make the decisions the way they should, there were no more fleeces, there were no more games of chance. It was, Lord, you have enough wisdom to give us. Would you generously give it to us now? And you see, through the book of Acts, if you read it, you'll see the Holy Spirit speaking to them over and over again. So in our circumstances, we get to a place where we're blocked. Let's, let's don't use fleeces and games of chance to make decisions. Let's don't do that. And your last one is this, your last fill-in is this. If you'll notice with Paul through this whole journey, Paul only did what was familiar to him. 
And this is, you can put familiarity or the familiar in here, but this seems to be how God works the, the most and the best in our lives. And that is that whatever he leads us into, whatever decision we are to make has some familiarity with it. Paul was so on fire for God that his thing, the thing that was familiar to him was telling people about Jesus. It didn't matter where it was, how it was, who it was. And so that propelled him. It, it, when I was thinking of this, I thought even with you guys this morning, for me, you know, when I look at you out here, what I see is 47 years ago, a group of surfers sitting on the beach. Really hadn't changed that much, you know. <laughs> I mean, it's still the message. It's still the message of Jesus. It's still the thing that drives me wherever I go. And I'll bet you in your life, when God has used you, it is something familiar. I'll bet you most of the times that you've made a decision in your life. I'm not saying it won't be challenging and it won't be a little sketchy and scary sometimes. But I'll bet you when you step into it, it is something that's burning in your heart already. It is something you have done and you have seen God's hand in it before. There is a familiarity about it. We used to, people used to, we'd have altar calls and, and kids would go, man, I'm not going to the front. God might send me to, you know, Antarctica as a missionary. I don't want to go to Antarctica. I hate cold weather, you know, and it's like, chill. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, God, God is going <laughs> to, most likely, I'm not saying good, God can certainly do what he wants to, but if you look at your life, it has been this systematic step of God doing this in your life, that in your life. You step into it and there is some desire, whether it's the job you have that you have passion for or whether it's um, some sport or whatever. God uses whatever he has placed in you, but he begins to broaden it, broaden it, broaden it, increase it, increase it until all of a sudden you look back 30, 40, 50 years and you go, Wow. And you've only been doing what you do. But you've been doing it for him. You've been doing it for him. And in the process, those fences have guided you and taken you down through life. And along the way, doors have opened up and said, come on into this door. We're going a little deeper this way. And you've stepped through that door and it's opened up even bigger. And maybe it's been with children, working with kids and helping kids or it's in your job or at school, your influence. But it's something I think that there's a spark dip deep inside of you, that familiar place of God's presence and grace that is the easiest for us to make a decision in. And so take some great comfort in that, you know. Like my friend that wanted to own the houses in Bali, which I hope he gets before I get too old. And, uh, but, you know, he's got to make his steps. He's got to take his steps, right? He steps through the next door and the next door and the next door. He does what he knows to do well and well again and again unto the Lord until it leads him into a place that he looks back and goes, oh, there you are, God. You've been there all the time leading me, directing me. Father, Help us in our decisions. And this morning, I, what I want to do, Lord, is I would ask for you to be able to release people a little bit of some pressure. Be able to let them know that you, you operate in the everyday parts of their lives. And yes, you call us the things that we would never imagine like you did get in, Lord. 
You call us, but they're one step at a time as we do what we know to do, Lord, and we submit it to you. And I pray that today, Lord, that there would be a freedom in trusting you for the wisdom of the next step, Lord, in each other's lives. Now I want to ask, as we're praying here, I want to ask for the two decisions this morning. One is this, while we're praying, is that if you have not made a conscious decision to follow Jesus, that you would do it now. Right now. Right here in this place. And that decision would be so clear to you that you would stand up and say to me and to God right now, I've made that decision. If you would, please stand. And I want to pray for you. Make that decision. He has granted you the grace and the mercy and done all that he could do to let you know how much he cares for you. How much he has done to redeem you and to call you to himself. Thank you, Lord. And secondly, I would ask that you would say, I'm not going to be one of those one out of four people. I'm going to make a decision today to commit to doing more with my life for Christ. I'm not going to be a creaster. I'm not going to be that 3.2% that the normal average person gives. And I'm not going to be that 25% churchgoer. But I'm going to get involved and I'm going to help. And I'm going to be a part of God's community. I want to ask you to stand. Make a decision. Be bold. And do it. Thank you, Lord Jesus. In your Holy Spirit. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Don't get pushed along. Make a decision and move along. Don't let life push you along. Make some decisions. Take some steps. Own it. Step into it. And let's make a difference together. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.